Section 10 of Moonface and Other Stories by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Planchette, Part 3. Oh, here you are, sir. I have been looking for you everywhere since dinner. You are wanted immediately. Chris tossed his cigar away, then went over and pressed his foot on its glowing fire. You haven't told anybody about it, Ban? he queried. Lute shook her head. They'll learn soon enough. Martin will mention it to Uncle Robert tomorrow. But don't feel too bad about it, she said after a moment's pause, slipping her hand into his. He was Mike Holt, he said. Nobody has ridden him but you. I broke him myself. I knew him from the time he was born. I knew every bit of him, every trick, every caper. And I would have staked my life that it was impossible for him to do a thing like this. There was no warning, no fighting for the bit, no previous unruliness. I've been thinking it over. He didn't fight for the bit, for that matter. He wasn't unruly, nor disobedient. There wasn't time. It was an impulse, and he acted upon it like lightning. I'm astounded now at the swiftness with which it took place. Inside the first second, we were over the edge and falling. It was deliberate. Deliberate suicide. An attempted murder. It was a trap. I was the victim. He had me, and he threw himself over with me. Yet he did not hate me, he loved me. As much as it is possible for a horse to love, I am confounded. I cannot understand it any more than you can understand Dolly's behavior yesterday. But horses go insane, Chris, Lute said. You know that. It's merely coincidence that two horses in two days should have spells under you. That's the only explanation, he answered, starting off with her. But why am I wanted urgently? Planchette. Oh, I remember. It will be a new experience to me. Somehow I missed it when it was all the rage long ago. So did all of us, Lute replied. Except Mrs. Grantley. It is her favorite phantom, it seems. A weird little thing, he remarked. Bundle of nerves and black eyes. I'll wager she doesn't weigh ninety pounds, and most of that's magnetism. Positively uncanny at times. Lute shivered involuntarily. She gives me the creeps. Contact of the healthy with the morbid, he explained dryly. You will notice it is the healthy that always has the creeps. The morbid never has the creeps. It gives the creeps. That's its function. Where did you people pick her up, anyway? I don't know. Yes, I do, too. Aunt Mildred met her in Boston, I think. Oh, I don't know. At any rate, Mrs. Grantley came to California. And, of course, had to visit Aunt Mildred. You know the open house we keep. They halted where a passageway between two great redwood trunks gave entrance to the dining room. Above, through lacing boughs, could be seen the stars. Candles lighted the tree-columned space. About the table examining the planchette contrivance were four persons. Chris's gaze roved over them, and he was aware of a guilty sorrow paying as he paused for a moment on Lute's Aunt Mildred and Uncle Robert, mellow with ripe middle age and genial with the gentle buffets life had dealt them. He passed amusedly over the black-eyed, frail-bodied Mrs. Grantley, and halted on the fourth person, a portly, massive-headed man whose gray temples belied the youthful solidity of his face. "'Who's that?' Chris whispered. Uh, "'Mr. Barton. The train was late. That's why you didn't see him at dinner. He's only a capitalist. Water, power, long-distance, electricity transmitter, or something like that.' "'Doesn't look as though he could give an ox points on imagination.' He can't. He inherited his money. But he knows enough to hold on to it, and hire other men's brains. 
he is very conservative. That is to be expected, was Chris's comment. His gaze went back to the man and woman who had been father and mother to the girl beside him. Do you know, he said, it came to me with a shock yesterday when you told me that they had turned against me and that I was scarcely tolerated. I met them afterwards last evening, guiltily in fear and trembling, and today too. And yet I could see no difference from of old. Dear man, Lute sighed, hospitality is as natural to them as the act of breathing. But it isn't that, after all. It is all genuine in their dear hearts. No matter how severe the censure they put upon you when you are absent, the moment they are with you they soften and are all kindness and warmth. As soon as their eyes rest on you, affection and love come bubbling up. You are so made. Every animal likes you. All people like you. They can't help it. You can't help it. You are universally lovable. And the best of it is that you don't know it. You don't know it now. Even as I tell it to you, you don't realize it, and you won't realize it. And that very incapacity to realize it is one of the reasons why you are so loved. You are incredulous now, and you shake your head. But I know who am your slave, as all people know for they likewise are your slaves. Why, in a minute we shall go in and join them. Mark the affection, almost maternal, that will well up in Aunt Mildred's eyes. Listen to the tones of Uncle Robert's voice when he says, Well, Chris, my boy. Watch Mrs. Grantley melt, literally melt, like a dewdrop in the sun. Take Mr. Barton there. You have never seen him before. Why, you will invite him out to smoke a cigar with you when the rest of us have gone to bed. You, a mere nobody, and he a man of many millions, a man of power, a man obtuse and stupid like the ox. And he will follow you about, smoking the cigar like a little dog, your little dog, trotting at your back. He will not know he is doing it, but he will be doing it just the same. Don't I know, Chris? Oh, I have watched you, watched you so often, and loved you for it, and loved you again for it, because you were so delightfully and blindly unaware of what you were doing. I'm almost bursting with vanity from listening to you, he laughed, passing his arm around her and drawing her against him. Yes, she whispered. And in this very moment, when you're laughing at all that I have said, you, the feel of you, your soul, call it what you will, it is you, is calling for all the love that is in me. She leaned more closely against him and sighed as with fatigue. He breathed a kiss into her hair and held her with firm tenderness. Aunt Mildred stirred briskly and looked up from the planchette board. "'Come in, let us begin,' she said. "'It will soon grow chilly. Robert, where are those children?' "'Here we are,' Lute called out, disengaging herself. "'Now for the bundle of creeps,' Chris whispered as they started in. Lute's prophecy of the manner in which her lover would be received was realized. Mrs. Grantley, unreal, unhealthy, scintillant with frigid magnetism, warmed and melted as though of truth she were due and he was son. Mr. Barton beamed broadly upon him and was colossally gracious. Aunt Mildred greeted him with a glow of fondness and motherly kindness while Uncle Robert genially and heartily demanded, Well, Chris, my boy, and what of the writing? But Aunt Mildred drew her shawl more closely around her and hastened them to the business in hand. On the table was a sheet of paper. On the paper, writing on three supports, was a small triangular board. Two of the supports were easily moving casters. The third support, placed at the apex of the triangle, was a lead pencil. "'Who's first? Uncle Robert demanded. There was a moment's hesitancy, then Aunt Mildred placed her hand on the board and said, 
Someone is always to be the fool for the delectation of the rest. Brave woman, applauded her husband. Now, Mrs. Grantly, do your worst. I, that lady queried, I do nothing. The power, or whatever you care to think it, is outside of me, as it is outside of all of you. As to what that power is, I will not dare to say. There is such a power. I have evidences of it, and you will undoubtedly have evidences of it. Now please be quiet, everybody. Touch the board very lightly, but firmly, Mrs. Story, but do nothing of your own volition. Aunt Mildred nodded and stood with her hand on Planchette, while the rest formed about her in a silent and expectant circle. But nothing happened. The minutes ticked away, and Planchette remained motionless. Be patient, Mrs. Grantly counseled. Do not struggle against any influences you may feel working on you. But do not do anything yourself. The influence will take care of that. You will feel impelled to do things, and such impulses will be practically irresistible. I wish the influence would hurry up, Aunt Mildred protested at the end of five motionless minutes. Just a little longer, Mrs. Story, just a little longer, Mrs. Grant said soothingly. Suddenly Aunt Mildred's hand began to twitch into movement. A mild concern showed in her face as she observed the movement of her hand and heard the scratching of the pencil point at the apex of the planchette. For another five minutes this continued, when Aunt Mildred withdrew her hand with an effort and said with a nervous laugh, I don't know whether I did it myself or not. I do know that I was growing nervous standing there like a psychic fool with all your solemn faces turned upon me. Hand scratches, was Uncle Robert's judgment when he looked over the paper upon which she had scrawled. Quite illegible, was Mrs. Grantley's dictum. It does not resemble a writing at all. The influences have not got to working yet. Do you try it, Mr. Barton? The gentleman stepped forward, ponderously willing to please, and placed his hand on the board. And for ten solid, stolid minutes he stood there motionless, like a statue, the frozen personification of the commercial age. Uncle Robert's face began to work. He blinked, stiffened his mouth, uttered suppressed throaty sounds deep down. Finally he snorted, lost his self-control, and broke out in a roar of laughter. All joined in his merriment, including Mrs. Grantley. Mr. Barton laughed with them, but he was vaguely nettled. "'You try it, Story,' he said. Uncle Robert, still laughing and urged on by Lute and his wife, took the board. Suddenly his face sobered, his hand had begun to move, and the pencil could be heard scratching across the paper. "'By George,' he muttered. "'That's curious. Look at it. I'm not doing it.' I know I'm not doing it. Look at that hand go. Just look at it. Now, Robert, none of your ridiculousness, his wife warned him. I tell you I'm not doing it, he replied indignantly. The force has got a hold of me, asked Mrs. Grantley. Tell her to make it stop if you want it to stop. I can't stop it. By George, look at that flourish. I didn't do that. I never wrote a flourish in my life. Do try to be serious, Mrs. Grantley warned them. An atmosphere of levity does not conduce to the best operation of Planchette. There, that will do, I guess, Uncle Robert said as he took his hand away. Now, let's see. He bent over and adjusted his glasses. It's handwriting, at any rate. That's better than the rest of you did. Here, Lute, your eyes are young. Oh, what flourishes, Lute exclaimed as she looked at the paper. And look there, there are two different handwritings, she began to read. This is the first lecture. Concentrate on this sentence. 
I am a positive spirit and not negative to any condition. Then follow a concentration on positive love. After that, peace and harmony will vibrate through and around your body. Your soul, the other writing, breaks right in. This is the way it goes. Bullfrog 95, Dixie 16, Golden Anchor 65, Golden Mountain 13, Jim Butler 70, Jumbo 75, North Star 42, Rescue 7, Black Butt 75, Brown Hope 16, Iron Top 3. Iron Top's pretty low, Mr. Barton murmured. Robert, you've been dabbling again, Aunt Mildred cried accusingly. No, I've not, he denied. I only read the quotations, but how the devil... I beg your pardon. They got there on that piece of paper, I'd like to know. Your subconscious mind, Chris suggested. You read the quotations in today's paper. No, I didn't, but last week I glanced over the column. A day or a year is all the same in the subconscious mind, said Mrs. Grantley. The subconscious mind never forgets, but I am not saying that this is due to the subconscious mind. I refuse to state what I think it is due. But how about that other stuff? Uncle Robert demanded. Sounds like what I'd think Christian science ought to sound like. Or theosophy, Aunt Mildred volunteered. Some message to a neophyte. Go on, read the rest, her husband commanded. This puts you in touch with the mightier spirits, Lute read. You shall become one with us, and your name shall be Aria, and you shall... Conqueror 20, Empire 12, Columbia Mountain 18, Midway 140. And and that is all. Oh, no, here's a last flourish. Arya from Kandor. That must surely be the Mahatma. I'd like to have you explain that theosophy stuff on the basis of the subconscious mind, Chris, Uncle Robert challenged. Chris shrugged his shoulders. No explanation. You must have got a message intended for someone else. Lines were crossed, eh? Uncle Robert chuckled. Multiplex spiritual wireless telegraphy, I call it. It is nonsense, Mrs. Grantley said. I never knew Planchette behave so outrageously. There are disturbing influences at work. I felt them from the first. Perhaps it is because you are all making too much fun of it. You are too hilarious. A certain befitting gravity should grace the occasion, Chris agreed, placing his hand on Planchette. Let me try. And not one of you must laugh or giggle or even think laugh or giggle. And if you dare to snort even once, Uncle Robert, there is no telling what occult vengeance may be wreaked upon you. I'll be good, Uncle Robert rejoined. But if I really must snort, may I silently slip away? Chris nodded. His hand had already begun to work. There had been no preliminary twitchings nor tentative essays at writing. At once his hand had started off and Planchette was moving swiftly and smoothly across the paper. Look at him, Luke whispered to her aunt. See how white he is. Chris betrayed disturbance at the sound of her voice, and thereafter silence was maintained. Only could be heard the steady scratching of the pencil. Suddenly, as though it had been stung, he jerked his hand away. With a sigh and a yawn, he stepped back from the table, then glanced with the curiosity of a newly awakened man at their faces. I think I wrote something, he said. I should say you did, Mrs. Grantley remarked with satisfaction, holding up the sheet of paper and glancing at it. Read it aloud. Uncle Robert said. Here it is, then. It begins with Beware, written three times, and in much larger characters than the rest of the writing. Beware! 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 Chris Dunbar, I intend to destroy you. 
I have already made two attempts upon your life and failed. I shall yet succeed. So sure am I that I shall succeed, that I dare to tell you. I do not need to tell you why. In your own heart you know the wrong you are doing. And here it abruptly ends. Mrs. Grantley laid the paper down on the table and looked at Chris, who had already become the center of all eyes, and who was yawning as from an overpowering drowsiness. Quite a sanguinary turn, I should say, Uncle Robert remarked. I have already made two attempts upon your life, Mrs. Grantley read from the paper which she was going over a second time. On my life? Chris demanded between yawns. Why, my life hasn't been attempted even once. My, I am sleepy. Oh, my boy, you were thinking of flesh and blood men, Uncle Robert laughed. But this is a spirit. Your life has been attempted by unseen things. Most likely ghostly hands have tried to throttle you in your sleep. Oh, Chris, Luke cried impulsively. This afternoon, the hand you said must have seized your reign. But I was joking, he objected. Nevertheless, Luke left her thought unspoken. Mrs. Grantley had become keen on the scent. What was that about this afternoon? Was your life in danger? Chris's drowsiness had disappeared. I'm becoming interested myself, he acknowledged. We haven't said anything about it. Ban broke his back this afternoon. He threw himself off the bank and I ran the risk of being caught underneath. I wonder, I wonder, Mrs. Grantley communed aloud. There is something in this. It is a warning. Ah, you were hurt yesterday riding Miss Story's horse. That makes the two attempts. She looked triumphantly at them. Planchette had been vindicated. Nonsense, laughed Uncle Robert, but with a slight hint of irritation in his manner. Such things do not happen these days. This is the twentieth century, my dear madam. The thing at the very latest smacks of medievalism. I have had such wonderful tests with Planchette. Mrs. Grantley began, then broke off suddenly to go to the table and place her hand on the board. Who are you? she asked. What is your name? The board immediately began to write. By this time, all heads, with the exception of Mr. Barton's, were bent over the table and following the pencil. It's Dick, Aunt Mildred cried, a note of the mildly hysterical in her voice. Her husband straightened up, his face for the first time grave. It's Dick's signature, he said. I know his fist in a thousand. Dick Curtis, Mrs. Grantley read aloud. Who is Dick Curtis? By Jove, that's remarkable, Mr. Barton broke in. The handwriting in both instances is the same. Clever, I should say, really clever, he added admiringly. Let me see, Uncle Robert demanded, taking the paper and examining it. Yes, it is Dick's handwriting. But who is Dick? Mrs. Grantley insisted. Who is this Dick Curtis? Dick Curtis? Why, he was Captain Richard Curtis, Uncle Robert answered. He was Lute's father, Aunt Mildred supplemented. Lute took our name. She never saw him. He died when she was a few weeks old. He was my brother. Remarkable, most remarkable, Mrs. Grantley was revolving the message in her mind. There were two attempts on Mr. Dunbar's life. The subconscious mind cannot explain that, for none of us knew of the accident today. I knew, Chris answered, and it was I that operated Planchette. The explanation is simple. But the handwriting, interposed Mr. Barton. 
What you wrote and what Mrs. Grantley wrote are identical. Chris bent over and compared the handwriting. Besides, Mrs. Grantley cried, Mr. Story recognizes the handwriting. She looked at him for verification. He nodded his head. Yes, it's Dick's fist, I'll swear to that. But to loot had come a visioning. While the rest argued pro and con, and the air was filled with phrases, psychic phenomena, self-hypnotism, residuum of unexplained truth and spiritism, she was reviving mentally the girlhood picture she had conjured of this soldier father she had never seen. She possessed his sword. There were several old-fashioned daguerreotypes. There was much that had been said of him, stories told of him, and all this had constituted the material out of which she had builded him in her childhood fancy. There is the possibility of one mind unconsciously suggesting to another mind, Mrs. Grantley was saying. But through Lute's mind was trooping her father on his great roan warhorse. Now he was leading his men. She saw him on lonely scouts, or in the midst of the yelling Indians at Salt Meadows, when of his command he returned with one man in ten. And in the picture she had of him, in the physical semblance she had made of him, was reflected his spiritual nature, reflected by her worshipful artistry in form and feature and expression. His bravery, his quick temper, his impulsive championship, his madness of wrath in a righteous cause, his warm generosity and swift forgiveness, and a chivalry that epitomized codes and ideals primitive as the days of knighthood. And first, last, and always dominating all, she saw in the face of him the hot passion and quickness of deed, that had earned for him the name Fighting Dick Curtis. Let me put it to the test, she heard Mrs. Grantley saying. Let Miss Story try Planchette. There may be further message. No, no, I beg of you, Aunt Mildred interposed. It is too uncanny. It surely is wrong to tamper with the dead. Besides, I am nervous. Or better, let me go to bed, leaving you to go on with your experiments. That will be the best way, and you can tell me in the morning. Mingled with the good nights were half-hearted protests from Mrs. Grantley as Aunt Mildred withdrew. Robert can return, she called back, as soon as he has seen me to my tent. It would be a shame to give it up now, Mrs. Grantley said. There is no telling what we are on the verge of. Won't you try it, Miss Story? Lute obeyed, but when she placed her hand on the board, she was conscious of a vague and nameless fear at this toying with the supernatural. She was twentieth century, and the thing in essence, as her uncle had said, was medieval. Yet she could not shake off the instinctive fear that arose in her. Man's inheritance from the wild and howling ages when his hairy, ape-like prototype was afraid of the dark, and personified the elements into things of fear. But as the mysterious influence seized her hand and sent it writing across the paper, all the unusual passed out of the situation and she was unaware of more than a feeble curiosity. For she was intent on another visioning, this time of her mother, who was also unremembered in the flesh. Not sharp and vivid like that of her father, but dim and nebulous was the picture she shaped of her mother. A saint's head and an aureole of sweetness and goodness and meekness, and withal shot through with a hint of reposeful determination of will. Stubborn and unobtrusive, that in life had expressed itself mainly in resignation. Lute's hand had ceased moving, and Mrs. Grantley was already reading the message that had been written. It is a different handwriting, she said. A woman's hand, 
Martha, it is signed. Who is Martha? Lou was not surprised. It is my mother, she said simply. What does she say? She had not been made sleepy as Chris had, but the keen edge of her vitality had been blunted, and she was experiencing a sweet and pleasing lassitude. And while the message was being read in her eyes persisted the vision of her mother. Dear child, Mrs. Grantley read, do not mind him. He was ever quick of speech and rash. Be no niggard with your lover. Love cannot hurt you. To deny love is to sin. Obey your heart and you can do no wrong. Obey worldly considerations. Obey pride. Obey those that prompt you against your heart's prompting. And you do sin. Do not mind your father. He is angry now, as was his way in the earth life. But he will come to see the wisdom of my counsel, for this too was his way in the earth life. Love, my child, and love well, Martha. Let me see it, Luke cried, seizing the paper and devouring the handwriting with her eyes. She was thrilling with unexpressed love for the mother she had never seen, and this written speech from the grave seemed to give more tangibility to her having ever existed than did the vision of her. This is remarkable, Mrs. Grant was reiterating. There was never anything like it. Think of it, my dear, both your father and mother here with us tonight. Lute shivered. The lassitude was gone, and she was her natural self again, vibrant with the instinctive fear of things unseen, and it was offensive to her mind that, real or illusion, the presence or the memoried existences of her father and mother should be touched by these two persons who were practically strangers, Mrs. Grantley, unhealthy and morbid, and Mr. Barton, stolid and stupid with the grossness both of the flesh and the spirit. And it further seemed to trespass that these strangers should thus enter into the intimacy between her and Chris. She could hear the steps of her uncle approaching, and the situation flashed upon her, luminous and clear. She hurriedly folded the sheet of paper and thrust it into her bosom. Don't say anything to him about this second message, Mrs. Grantley, please. And Mr. Barton... Not to Aunt Mildred. It would only cause them irritation and needless anxiety. In her mind there was also the desire to protect her lover, for she knew that the strain of his present standing with her aunt and uncle would be added to, unconsciously in their minds, by the weird message of Planchette. And please don't let us have any more Planchette, Luke continued hastily. Let us forget all the nonsense that has occurred. Nonsense, my dear child! Mrs. Grantley was indignantly protesting when Uncle Robert strode into the circle. Hello? he demanded. What's being done? Too late, Lute answered lightly. No more stock quotations for you. Planchette is adjourned, and we're just winding up the discussion of the theory of it. Do you know how late it is? End of section 10